Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is a podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. day before okay. holiday in it oh well you know the we we're, so we're, we normally talk on a monday night don't we mm. today tonight it is thursday and that's because of your insistence on going on holiday yeah um I taking mean... a whole long weekend off yeah i know where are you going well i'm going to porto in portugal oh my god I'm going with my friend Sophie, not oh, not BFN Sophie, um, different Sophie, a different Sophie, who um, works in hospitality, and so has hooked us up with some like wine tasting experiences. So I'm quite excited. It's basically Mate. it's my treat because um, my Mr. Gabby went to LA for over a week to a wedding in June, and so I've been nowhere all summer. And so I was like, well, I'm I'm taking my I'm taking mine. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Fair enough, but it it upsets me that you won't be around. And yeah. it upsets me that you're gonna be having a lovely time that I'm gonna have to unfollow you on Instagram so I don't see all your smug photos. Well, you've I think it's your duty to look at my smug photos, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna do the crying emoji at them all. Oh yeah, go on then. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, yeah, it's been... Do you know what? C- can I tell you about um, a book I read this week? Please do. Right. So I've just, for work, into, uh, read this book called Bully Market, which is by a woman called Jamie Fiore Higgins. Um, she's an American. An American. She um, worked at Goldman Sachs. Basically, the book is about her time working at Goldman Sachs. It's quite enraging. And, you know, last week we were talking a lot about... Um, high-powered jobs infertility mm. in the city yeah. she like you know when you're just going through something you're just reading something or you're watching tv and suddenly an infertility storyline smacks you in the face and you're mm-hmm. like what so she just kind of halfway through casually talks about the ivf that she went through while she was at goldman sachs okay but also and i don't think this is a massive spoiler there's um, a miscarriage scene in the book which is something that she experienced which is one of the most detailed and I you you know when I was talking to her I used the word graphic but I don't mean in a like appalling way just in a like it's it's an incredibly detailed description of going through a miscarriage a 12-week miscarriage so you know late Mm. Um, and I just lost it like I was in tears but I just think it is the most incredibly brave piece of writing I've read for ages Mm. interesting Um, yeah, it's really good. Like, you know, if obviously if you're going to be triggered by something like that, don't read that book. But if you're not, like, or if you're at all interested, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by what goes on behind closed doors at Goldman Sachs, so I loved it. Mm-hmm. But if you are, like, at all interested in that kind of thing, I really would recommend it. It's a really good book. It's called Bully Market. Okay. Is it just out? Yeah. 
new release. Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know whether it's out yet. It might be might be coming out soon. But okay. just check, have a look on where, wherever you get your books um, while you're buying our book. Of course. Yes. Um, and yeah, I just I thought it was extraordinary, like really extraordinary description of a miscarriage that you just, you know, if you're reading like a memoir of, of a pregnancy loss, you mm. probably would expect to encounter that. But this is a book about working at a Wall Street firm. like, mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, it kind of knocked me for six. So there you go. That's my recommendation of the week. Great. Thanks for that, Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's really nice because I had a chat with her. Oh, there we go. BFFs. BFFs. Um, so who, what can I think you should talk about what we are doing today, Gav, because it's your brainchild. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we've got a, a bit of a special today, um, which is all about what to do with embryos. Um, I think... The thing about this episode is probably going to be that if you don't have embryos and you're not in that position, this this might feel a bit annoying because you're like, well, you guys are privileged enough to have embryos. But a lot of people who have gone through the IVF process do have leftover embryos. And it's kind of something that a lot of us in this community have to deal with that you wouldn't normally have to deal with. No. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um. We spoke to a couple of people about it, didn't we? We did, yeah. With the um, absolutely brilliant Natalie Silverman of the yeah. Fertility Body. Yep. Um, also, we speak to an embryologist called Millie Kanani. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting discussion. Like, um, the, the interesting thing about Natalie that I, I don't think I quite realised was that she um, had her son and then she just decided that was, that was enough, mm-hmm. no more. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, she did some really interesting posts on on Instagram, and I think she did a podcast episode as well about the kind of decision making process about you know how to what to do with her embryos. Mm. So yeah, I think it's really fascinating. Well, it's yeah, it's um it's something that I think you just said that she just made the decision. She didn't just make the decision. It was kind of like yeah. it was a, a very difficult thing to it's come to. It's a process. To. It's a process, all a process. Um, and it's one of those things that we always kind of joke about, like, oh, I'll be paying for my embryos to be f- stored for the rest of my life. And it's kind of true yeah. because having to deal with that and make that final decision is very yeah. fucking difficult. Um, and it's kind of a position that, it's obviously quite timely for me because it's kind of the position I'm in at the moment um Mm -hmm. and potentially you as well at some point you know what I mean like it's coming up quite soon for both of us or is it you know what I mean it's kind of like do we deal with it now or do we just keep paying and forget about it it's just so hard it's not an insignificant sum is it no no 300 quid a year it costs me at the moment yeah mine's similar um which it would be nice to have but also I'd pay that just to not have to make this decision (laughs) so (laughs) that's the situation we're in um so yeah I thought it'd be good to just speak to Natalie get her experience which is so she's so honest and raw about it it's really kind of good to hear her talk about it and then Millie who's an embryologist to talk about the other side of things and what it's like for her kind of and how she supports patients and what actually happens as well just a bit of the kind of nitty-gritty of what what goes on and emma we've also got obviously professor tim yes we have and um he's talking about how common it is to bleed heavily during the two-week wait and this is something (laughs) this is a subject close to my heart indeed it is (laughs) yeah so yeah we'll have that excellent and don't forget at the end of the podcast we're gonna be talking about um me 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 um for a bit and if you don't want to listen to that i will make sure i put the time code in the um show notes but just turn off after professor tim yes and in case you haven't been following that's emma is going to be talking about her early pregnancy but before that if you want to get in touch with us you can um instagram us at big fat negative you can twitter us at big fat negative you can email us. BigFatNegativePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can purchase our book. At any bookstore. 
And we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. On Apple Podcasts. Look at I'm giving all the people yeah. the information now. Um Aww. Yeah, you could also buy a Just Relax t shirt. There you go, guys. Head to the link yeah. in our bio and buy a Just Relax t shirt. You won't regret yeah. it. <laughs> um I think you have my one of those, by the way. I think I do actually, yeah. Sorry. I keep seeing it in my drawer and going, Oh, I need to give that back to her. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, so let's kick off with um, our conversation with Natalie. Let's. Um, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Finally, finally. So, um, so we're here to talk about embryos and, um, and what to do with them. So before, I guess the first question is, when, when did you first start thinking about what you were going to do with your embryos when when Uh, did that kind of hit you um well I think once I so you have your period of time that the storage is included so that's what the first year Mm -hmm. and then the second year then you get the first payment and then I think we had the second payment so my son is seven so by the time he was three or four well so I moved from London to Manchester when Phoenix was two turning three. So between three and five, I suppose we'd we would we'd move to a new area, and you're dealing with getting used to being in a new area. And so just the thoughts, your headspace isn't in my headspace. Our headspace wasn't in what we're going to do about family building. But there was just so much going on that it mm. wasn't. It wasn't. Like in all honesty, I think the experience that we had having Phoenix whilst my story is that we were successful first time with treatment. So whilst that that treatment experience wasn't lengthy, I think the mental health impact was pretty significant. Um, mm-hmm. Our reason for needing treatment was it was with my other half and he really struggled. And I think the conversation about a second was just it wasn't really there. It wasn't prominent from the like I remember seeing on social people that had been through treatment were like and we're talking about having another quite quickly and Mm -hmm. and that didn't really happen to me um and I didn't really feel it was something that I was going to push because of just what was going on mental health wise and so it was more the storage letters came we paid we just didn't talk about it and then I think after two or three years of paying storage yeah we'd paid three extra years I was like we need to talk about this um we need to talk about if and what and and basically I was like I obviously was in this space talking about this so it was very prominent more so to me than my 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 husband um and I was like we need to make a decision um and to be really frank we hadn't bought a house it was a financial conversation of look we're in this position where we still haven't bought a house my husband had changed careers so he'd gone from being in one career to basically being an apprentice in a new career so financially we weren't in a strong position and i started to look into how the hell i was going to get my head around it because it seemed from his point of view it wasn't something that he was keen to pursue further treatment yeah. um and I then basically was like, I need to talk to someone about this. So um, it's a bit of a convoluted story, but I spent 18 months talking about it in like with having therapy. <laughs> um, I started because I'm Jewish. I started and I'm not massively practicing, but I it's a part of my identity. And I was like, I wonder if there's something from the religious point of view that I could do in terms of a kind of blessing if I'm going to do something with these embryos if I'm not going to use them and it was a really quite um interesting like little exercise I reached out to there's a Jewish um charity supporting people with infertility called Hannah and I had this conversation with this amazing lady and she was like I'm going to go and speak to a rabbi and see if there's a blessing basically wow Um, I just thought if there was something that I could do as a goodbye um but there wasn't. There was. There, there is a something that is kind of around loss that could have been done. But um, we then got to this conversation of them saying there should be some conversation about implications counselling from your clinic, um, because basically with your clinic, obviously you get offered counselling 
when you're going through treatment but if you are then looking and you've got frozen embryos and you're looking to have this kind of conversation they should offer it so I then went back to my clinic um, and I was eligible so I was eligible for sessions with a therapist there about what it meant um, and basically she said I need to talk to you both and at first my other half was like I don't know if I want to have the conversation so I had the first couple mm-hmm. of sessions with her I remember got the first session as it happened I was actually at the BBC in like uh why I thought I could I was at like a workshop and I was in like a open plan office like an, a, an open plan building like sat in this like weird pod thing thinking right. I could have this conversation and I basically was in tears I was totally oh, naive and I think the biggest thing I can say with this conversation is you can't rush it I'd been talking already at this point when I got to the implications counselling I've been talking about it for about a year with this other therapist on and off and then I had this very specific first session like I say in a stupid open plan situation um and I just remember I was and it was like a face you know like a zoom thing I was like bawling um not realizing just how and even talking to you about it now like it makes me think just that vulnerability that it makes you like I was just saying before about the weight of the decision yeah because I think I was very instantly apparent that I was making this kind of I was pushing to make this end point decision Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's a very long answer to you asking me but I'd say about 18 months from starting to that and reaching the final decision um you know we were going to ask about whether you'd had your kind of options explained to you and I, I, I guess that's kind of part of that so yes so what the options are is that you can either continue paying for storage yeah you can donate to science Mm -hmm. you can you can donate to another couple but I was 36 at the age of at the point of having treatment and it's only if you're 35 or under that you can donate to another um couple right um or you can as the therapist talked about which is one of the nicest ways that I think to talk about is allow them to be let go um Mm. because I think the language around this way of putting it yeah I think it's a really tricky one to talk about the language um Mm. and I've spoken with uh, embryologists about the like language that's on the paperwork which is um like dispose or perish and it's really triggering I think Mm. um Mm -hmm. or she also said to me you know you could have them put in back it you, could, you don't have to have medicated cycle you could have a, a natural cycle or you can have a you can have them put in at the time where they're not going to take but presumably that's quite expensive I never really looked into the I mean there is a cost I never looked into yeah. exactly how much but I just I didn't want to like I suppose risk because I knew that in all honesty it wasn't something I felt having when I went into treatment I didn't know what you guys know and what I now know I went into treatment seven years ago very naive I had had a best friend that had been through it after Mm. three rounds she was successful I didn't look at any of the forums what have you and I was fortunate I was successful first time seven years no it was five years on hearing all the stories and all the lack of success I couldn't put myself mentally I just couldn't put myself through it and Mm. uh, and with the whole mental health side with my other half it just felt like it wasn't the right thing to do. And the therapist had said to me, you've got to make sure that there's not going to be any regret. You've got to make sure that between the two of you, it's not going to come back and bite you. And and mm. I think that's one of the biggest things that you've got to talk about. Yeah. How do you, how, I mean, what do you talk about? Because that's the thing that would blow my mind. It's just yeah. the making sure there's not any regret. Like, how so, do you do that? Well, somebody said to me, unless you're a hundred percent sure then don't don't let them go but uh-huh. I, and I and I'll be oh I, I wasn't a hundred I have to be honest I, I wasn't a hundred percent because and even to this day because my son talks about siblings oh god you know there's times where he asks and you know it's, it, it does sit there and I still see pregnant tummies and I see pregnancy announcements and I still you know I I just I don't believe that you could ever be a hundred percent, but I think yeah. it was the right thing for us. Um, Why did you um, 
because as we were kind of joking earlier, like we're going to be paying until we're in our eighties. Yeah. What What made you think? Okay, I actually kind of need an endpoint here. Like, is it was it just closure, or you know, were you just thinking I I've got to make a decision at some point? I think it was closure. I think it felt like it was hanging over me, and I I wanted to almost push the outcome to see mm. because I was getting older. I mean, I think so. I was. 42 at the point that we 43 and I was like uh, and I had my own business and I was just like Mm. like how am I going to manage this if I am going to be a mum again like so like I say it was a real head over heart Mm. yeah Um, Mm -hmm. and I hated that in some respects that it was like a fucking mature decisions that had Mm. to be made rather than I just want to see what happens it wasn't that it was I've got to be a grown up here and actually look at what my marriage is what our life is what we can give our son and just be a grown up and I think that was but you know what I think it gave me was the impetus to just understand then what 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 can we do with Mm. then the embryos and what does that mean and mm. I think like the the move that we made which is and I'll, I'll explain which was to donate to science um ultimately was like something that I'm really proud of mm-hmm. and I think that's the like silver lining you know of what was a real it's the, I, I'd say it's the most difficult decision I've made in my life to be honest oh, don't. sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> like on the um on the emotional side of things, do you think that it's emotional because you're not sure if you're making the right decision or is it emotional because you have a connection with the embryos that makes it emotional? I can't, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think you've got a deep emotional and psychological attachment to that embryo because it's a potential child. Mm. And I had three embryos from the same batch as Phoenix and I've seen what that embryo developed into like this brilliant little boy and I could have another little boy or girl like him like it's not like it was a later round of treatment it was from and it would have been you know like his twin ultimately and I that Mm -hmm. just messed up with my head so much in what I could have had um that's what I had to really work on because I was also denying him a sibling and I'm one of three my husband's one of three we always mm. thought we'd have more um sorry there's a massive guilt attached yeah um and, and how do you deal with that well talk, how have you have you dealt with that I think talking about how family isn't necessarily just your you know people that live in your house right. um being very open to my son having sleepovers and being that being that <laughs> mom who's like, yes, your kid can come round and being that saviour to friends with siblings who are like desperate to get rid of their children. I'm like, yes, because of the mom guilt and probably massively overcompensating with the effort I put into being a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that people that have more than one child don't put in the effort, but I think I do push myself <laughs> to do all I can and to be present as much I know what you mean because I think I think often when you're kind of making this decision one of the things that you're saying if you're like I'm going to have an only child you're like but but that means I'll be able to give them so much more than I would if I had another one and so that's you're kind of like you kind of have to do that now (laughs) I have to follow through (laughs) and I talk to friends that have got one child I'm a bit funny as well about saying only child I kind of Mm. like I, I feel like I don't know I think maybe I'm just a bit precious about the language around it but I've talked to friends who have one child and how they feel and talked to them about when the kids have asked about siblings and how they've had those conversations um and I've talked to adults who are only children who have talked about how amazing their lives have been and I've talked Mm -hmm. to adults who've talked about how they were lonely and wished they had siblings I've talked to siblings who hated their siblings so Mm -hmm. I think I just having that open door kind of feel about your house I think is something that I've made a point of and um yeah just trying to to manage the guilt and be kind to yourself because I think the guilt is something that keeps cropping up with it yeah I shall I tell you about a conversation I had with um a person that I interviewed so she's got one daughter that she had after a huge amount of IVF 
She she said 12 rounds. My goodness. She said something like, you know, she's she's 18 now and we are so close. And she's just had me all the way through her life. Yeah. And isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And I was like, that's really fair special. Enough. Yeah. 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 And I've seen that with, you know, my friends that have got one kid, like the the relationships are, are really special. And I've seen in the same way friends that have got several and feel that they can't put the time in and they feel exhausted. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a, it, it's a hard job being a parent and running your own business and having a child. Like I feel like my business is another child. Um, yeah. And I think maybe if I was employed, it would have been a different conversation as well, but there wasn't that like things weren't set up in my way, in my world that way so you've got to do what's right for you and I think I can take the time to do what I want to do with my son because I'm also my own boss so there's all these kind of pros and cons I think of of the situation I mean in your in your kind of discussions with other people who've gone through this have you ever had a a conversation about faith and and disposing with embryos like because I think there probably is a faith link for some people um do do you find that people what have you had conversations with people who've kind of been religious and therefore not been able to get rid of their embryos uh i haven't in depth i mean i know i've i've had some comments about when i've shared my experience i've had some comments uh, suggesting that it's the wrong thing to do because of people's personal beliefs right Um, that's nice yeah um and I think that is a whole other kind of conversation itself isn't it when we talk about a person's choice um in terms of people's beliefs do you mean of what they think that they should do yeah, I, I I guess I'm thinking of um. I know in the US there's a massive embryo bank mm. run by like a Christian organisation that is kind of for embryos that you know that are not used um to pass on to couples that want want to have children and can't. I mean that I yeah I think uh, amazing for people who mm. are happy to do that and I couldn't get my head around the idea of my you know my DNA and our embryo and our child being in existence. Mm. So yeah, I, I, that I, freaks I couldn't me out. get my head around it. But yeah, yeah, I think that's amazing. Um I mean the other thing that I've learned from having the conversations about the donating to science is because I've spoken to embryologists in some depth about this. And I think hearing an embryologist say what a precious gift it is mm-hmm for you to give them that material that is so hard for them to get hold of that ultimately means because implantation failure is one of the biggest reasons that we know that IVF doesn't work and what the research and if you think of what um, Steptoe and Edwards were able to achieve that was from having access to embryos to be able to test to make IVF happen Mm. and I think if you're struggling to get your head around this that piece of that that piece of like insight that this is considered the most incredible thing you could do mm. for this science that we're in is is what ultimately like I was saying before made me feel proud and I do some work with an embryologist and, and he says that it's given him such an amazing ability to do the research and things like PGT they wouldn't have been able to introduce that at certain places around the world if they didn't have embryos to to study and and the research that continues to improve IVF success rates is is made possible from people that consent to donate their embryos Mm. um and I think that that's a a really like special thing for you to hold on to it's kind it's kind of like donating to another couple isn't it but in a different way it's like a different form of it um I'm interested to know and this might be personal but what what was that moment like where where that decision was taken and you know was that simply you sending an email saying right this is our decision or were you in the clinic or what was the kind of moment so it was lengthy because the storage letter came 
Uh-huh. And we were having counselling. And then another storage letter came because we hadn't paid. And then a bailiff letter came. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I remember going back to the clinic going, uh, and this is like where the whole process of the system you know, the reality of that this is a financial mm. transaction, mm-hmm. that there is a system in place for when money is owed to something, you know, and you're just like, oh God. So the, the reality of that was quite um, insensitive. And I remember being like, somebody needs to update my notes and stop sending me these bloody letters. Because um, I've had conversations with people that were like, yeah, I just, I'm just not paying the storage. You know, I'm just hiding. I, I don't know how that happens that they've not had bailiff letters, but I, I'd had people that had said, you know, I just... I wasn't paying the paying the storage, and ultimately, if we do decide, then we'll just have a massive bill at the point of of treatment. Because um, when I've talked about it, people have said that they've literally put heads in the sand; they just can't deal okay. with it. Yeah. Um, so we had that period of difficult conversations with the clinic, where I was like writing quite arsy emails to say, "What the fuck?" It, you know, like I don't expect to have that kind of correspondence. Um, and then we got there's a lot of consent forms that you have to fill in which we didn't expect to, I mean, you know, quite rightly, but there's a lot of paperwork about what's going to happen, what the process means. Are you sure? Are you both sure? Are you really sure? And then there's like another, so if you imagine the consent forms when you start your treatment, you know, it's yeah. it's kind of that overwhelm of consent forms. Um, and then it's like explaining how long they can keep the embryos for once they are doing the research and that it's this program and that, you know, the embryo might just be thawed and it might not be used. It might, like and and then you start to think oh god am I gonna like is someone gonna thaw my embryo and like drop it on the you know it's not actually gonna Mm. get used because someone doesn't do it properly and I think you can't let yourself go down that level of but um we got the paperwork we signed the paperwork I then held on to it for god knows like another month then I think we posted it and um I wanted to mark it um and I we went to the sea we went to the the coast and we threw some roses into the sea and had a little because I think I'd also kind of learned from what I'd seen in like the miscarriage community of marking loss and I I wanted to you know it's a different kind of loss and you know I've learned from talking in this space as you guys will have giving yourself the time to grieve is a huge part of this like Mm. healing process um and that's what the therapist had spoken to me about as well you know you've got to do it at your own pace and and acknowledge it how you want and mark it if you want and and we um we went and we threw these roses into the sea I don't know what I was expecting because of course they washed back they came back into you know I, I like in my head they were going to float away and we walked away from the um the coast walked back kind of in along the beach and I saw this like lady stop and take some pictures and I was like oh that's quite nice that that's made a nice probably Instagram post for someone else you know I've kind of passed on a little moment to somebody else in the kind of passing on my embryos so it was a nice little but yeah that took my breath breath away just then (laughs) it it, it makes it's funny like it makes me I'm talking to you with like kind of goosebumps like I've talked about this but it's Mm. still it's it's it doesn't leave you this no. I think you've got to just accept that it's a part of all of this is how it keeps kind of popping up to shake you up a bit it's the burden of IVF isn't it because mm. you know you've got these embryos are kind of like spectres that are always there in your head when before you've made that decision they're always there I've got three mm. Mm. um and yeah and you have to go through this this decision which no one should have to do I don't think it's really mm. hard anyway um natalie you've kind of talked a little bit about some really good advice there to be honest but but would you have any kind of advice that you'd give other couples that you haven't maybe mentioned um i don't think you can be influenced by anybody else i think this is such a personal decision and what's right for someone else might not be right for you um and i think with any you know looking at socials of people talking about this like if you want to sit in limbo and keep paying that stories you know like you joked about then then do it it's got it's got to just be what's right for you and you can't rush it okay mm-hmm. amazing well thank you so much for sharing with us i know it's an emotional thing for for everyone apparently <laughs> yeah it's not it's, tears it's, away. It's, yeah it's not a cheery it's not but but 
you know, just knowing the amazing, if, if you do go down that donating to science and there is such a shortage, I think, mm. you know, embryologists will, embryologists will say they, they never have enough um, okay, yeah. access. If, if that can help you mm-hmm. feel a bit better in the, you know, doing something for the greater good, yeah. then I definitely felt really proud of us. And I feel proud to this day that that tiny little impact helped in some way um even though it was like I say a a really tricky thing to do Mm, nice okay brilliant well thank you so much that was I mean that gave me a lot to think about oh man really made me uh made me choke up (laughs) you got very emotional didn't you yeah you can hear one of my intakes of breath is like (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah it, yeah it got me it's just you know yeah. it's one of those things man it's um it kind of the thing about it is I think it's not the thing that you expect to get you emotional or you know I I wasn't yeah, approaching this situation expecting to be so distraught <laughs> yeah do, do you feel like it's t- kind of affected your thinking that conversation it has in the sense that I am not in a rush to make a decision. Yeah. You know, that's one of the pieces of advice, isn't it? And I think I'm I'm just going to take a rest on that for a bit. Fair enough. I think for me, it's definitely made me more comfortable with the idea of donating to science. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is such a big plus point from that conversation, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, like, truth be told, I haven't properly decided yet. I just, yeah, um, that's the side of the fence I'm on, but I'm not yeah. off the fence yet. so yeah anyway um but yes of course we also spoke to millie who is a brilliant embryologist at the evewell clinic and um Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's just really good for us i think to hear that side of the story too okay well let's listen to what she's got to say and then after that we'll have professor tim (gasps) prof t so yeah, we are doing a bonus episode about disposal of embryos. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to know, is that part of your job? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would I would say that majority of embryo dispos- disposal was all through the lab and via embryologists. Um, so absolutely. And when you work in a small clinic, it's normally that everyone pitches in. So everyone does a little bit of everything. And then when you work in a really large clinic, it's normally that each embryologist has a slightly different duty. So you might be part of the consent, discard, renewal, invoicing team. So absolutely. And as part of training to become an embryologist in the UK, you have to do learning and competency and understanding about what this process is from legal perspective and from a process perspective and then also about like supporting patients through that as well so yeah very much part of most embryologists life that's really interesting so they talk Mm -hmm. to you about the kind of emotional side of things as well as the kind of more practical side yeah yeah so training as an embryologist in the UK is through um majority through a scheme called the STP which is scientific training program And as that's been developed over the last 10 years, a really big part of it is making sure that embryologists are taught the empathy and understanding side of it. So that when you give bad news or you have to have these really complex conversations about discarding embryos, that you know how to do that. So Mm. absolutely. Yeah. Really important. And what... um... What kinds of embryo disposal are you involved in? Is it kind of, is there just one kind or are there multiple ones that you know? So, well, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, yes. So, um, but ultimately people elect to dispose of different types of embryos and for different reasons. So unscreened embryos are embryos that, you know, are, um, you know, patients elect to dispose of, but then you also have embryos that have had genetic testing. So embryos that have had PGTA, which is essentially PGS, and 
is a test for aneuploidy and then also PGTM or PGTSR embryos. So embryos which are purposefully being screened to avoid the inheritance of genetic disease. So I think each category almost comes with a different set of emotions with it. If you think of PGD, which is couples coming through because they know that they're trying to avoid the inheritance of a disease within their family in any of their children, they might have an affected child. So these embryos for them, you know, it's a, it's a totally, I think, different set of emotions than it is for perhaps an unscreened embryo. And I think you need to remember with PGD embryos as well, there's a lot of ethics involved in this because if you're screening out like BRCA1 or BRCA2, people have very healthy lives as someone who has BRCA1 or BRCA2 and you're electing not to use those embryos and as a couple electing to dispose of those embryos as well. So that I think is a whole other set of challenges as well in terms of discarding embryos. Same with um, embryos that are screened and screened as abnormal. So if they've had PGTA, there's a lot of debate at the moment about PGTA, about abnormal embryos, normal embryos and mosaic embryos as well. Um, so that's a whole other set of set of kind of discussions. And then I think there's also a whole conversation that I think people sometimes think that, oh, if you've had a baby, then maybe it's easier to part with your embryos that you've got what you wanted from this experience. And I, I think it's really naive to assume that about people. My best friend had IVF and parting with her embryos after she had her little girl was so hard because that cohort of embryos are in her brain, in part a sibling or potential sibling to her daughter. So yeah, it's, it's really challenging. Um, it's really, really hard. And again, I think even parting with embryos that have been screened that are screened as abnormal is really hard as well, because even though science tells us that those embryos aren't going to give us the outcome we want, for some people, I think there is a tiny, tiny, tiny thought that maybe they, maybe they can, and that's another element of thought and difficulty so yeah really challenging yeah it is and so what do you know what um options people are given so if someone comes into the clinic and says I've got however many frozen embryos on ice are they given a suite of options from the clinic so that will depend on what clinic ultimately mm. and what the clinic's policies internal policies are majority of clinics are truthfully going to give you a small set of options which will be discard uh donate to training donate to research if they have associated research not all clinics do and not all clinics have that in-house but some clinics will have relationships with universities or research groups that they can ship embryos to um, very, very, very rarely do I see embryo donation. And the reason for that is that embryo donation is incredibly complex in the UK because effectively both the male gamete provider and the female gamete provider have to become in the eyes of the law donors. And so it's really involved to try and donate embryos. It is legally possible it is legally possible, but you have to do all of the screening and consenting and counselling to become a donor. Um, so that's that's hard, but that's what most most clinics offer. So I would say discard consent to training and consent to research. Consent to training is often an option that patients go for, and I think 
it's important for them to feel like science has benefited them. And so in a way, they are benefiting science by allowing members of, you know, my team and other embryologists to use those embryos. Um, and it is really valuable for us. It is, it is so valuable for us in terms of training. Um, so they're the main options. Have you come across any other options? I I once heard someone talking about something that she referred to as compassionate uh-huh. disposal. So yeah. transferring it, or is, is yeah. that what it's called? Compassionate transfer. Compassionate transfer, yeah, I thought that might be it. So yeah, transferring it at a time when there's no chance it would, yeah. it would take. Yeah, it absolutely is. So again, th- you know, thawing an embryo and putting it back on a day in the cycle when the uterus isn't receptive to receiving that embryo or hasn't had any luteal support, etc. Um, I truthfully don't know many clinics that, that do that or go for it. Um, in one part, I think it could probably be viewed as a bit of a shame. On the other part, I understand from perhaps a medical legal perspective that clinics maybe wouldn't want to offer that, if that makes Mm. sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Clinics should only be doing procedures that are of a benefit. And so I could, I can kind of understand the logic where some clinics would say, do you know what, we just don't want to do transfers and put women through this unless it's going like for a productive outcome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then I think when it comes down to the kind of like disposal moment, shall I say, Mm -hmm. some clinics also will support patients with that in that I know that there, I know embryologists who have, you know, allowed patients to be there in that moment when, embryos are removed from liquid nitrogen um, or have handed over the straw devices that we freeze embryos on to patients after you know removing them from liquid nitrogen so I I know that there are there are some clinics as well that perhaps are able because of workload etc and ethos to support patients who really struggle with the thought of letting go and how often do you talk directly to patients about this? I imagine a lot of your work is in the lab. How much of it is talking to people? Oh, my all my day is talking to people. <laughs> so I work at the Eve Well, so we're um we are very, very much talking to patients. Every patient has an embryology consultation. Um so we I, I think we're not the norm. Um Embryologists speak to patients majority of the time, um, you know, egg collection, fertilization, um, you know, embryo development, etc. But this discard process and the management largely of this really is dealt by the embryology team. Do you ever have any kind of words of advice for people or kind of kind words in this moment if they're feeling a bit weird about things? I mean, having spoken to many couples, every again, everyone kind of meets this differently. And I think that's okay. Like, it, whatever feelings you have around this is allowed. You've gone through so much to get to this point. Like, you've worked so hard to get here. It would be weird if it wasn't really hard, you know? Like, for the journey that this has been, if it wasn't difficult, that would kind of be strange. Um, but we will always signpost to counselling, always. I think all clinics should offer patients time and, you know, support, whether that's with nursing discussion or if they need to see a clinician to speak to someone or if they just need, you know, half an hour on the phone to talk it through of what it means. But signposting to counselling services is really big. Um, And... Yeah, I just I just think, you know, yeah, it's it's just really tough. I don't even know. It's a really, really hard thing. It's really hard. It is, but it sounds like you are aware of that and that in yeah. itself means probably quite a lot to people, I imagine. Yeah. And I mean, I think the flip side as well is we 
spend all our lives trying to create life and create families. That's why I do this job, right? I, I, I want to help people create a family in, what, in whatever way that looks like and in, in, in however that ends up being. That's why I do this. And so the flip side is for me is that I stand in these rooms with all this liquid nitrogen and all of these tanks and I just think, my God, there is so much life in this room. It, it's, re- it's a really strange job. And then being part of that discard process is also really tough at points because you might have counseled a patient through that conversation, through that moment, getting consent forms, you know, really torn about what to do. Maybe they've extended their consent because they needed another year to think about what they wanted to do. And then you then follow their wishes, which is your job. And that is sometimes really strange. It's a weird thing to do as well when you work to create that. So, yeah, it's a funny, it's a a difficult thing. Um, but, yeah, that's why we're there. Well, thank you from from all of us for all of the work you do. It is, it is greatly appreciated. And as I say, um, it's lovely to know how conscious you are of, of what a big deal this is. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now it's time for... IVF. What the earth? What what the earth? <laughs> oh, Professor Tim. Um, so we are talking about how common it is to bleed heavily during a two week wait. <gasps> Interesting. I um, mean, <laughs> I did not bleed at all during mine. I actually thinking about it. I actually um, I had a little smear of blood during my first two week. Well, what? Not during my first two week wait. During my second two week wait. Um, and then, um, during, but with both the successful rounds that I've done, mm. I had like super heavy bleeding, like mm. one day after the end of my two week wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. It's interesting. But I, to go back to pre IVF world, used to regularly mm. get little, uh, spittle spottle yeah. here and there. Is it implantation bleeding? I'll take everyone back to that, uh, little dilemma. Uh, so that used to happen to me regularly during that particular two week wait. Yeah, and same actually. I used to get a lot of pre menstrual spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, the worst. Although this question is bleed heavily, so yes, but it's not not quite the same. Yeah. But anyway, right. Well, um, what does Professor Tim have to say? So, um, so during the two week wait, so that's the time from the egg collection and embryo transfer up to the pregnancy test then there are quite a few hormone changes that are going on. Uh, In a fresh cycle, you'll be given some progesterone to help support your own progesterone levels coming from the corpus luteum. 
but the progesterone that's given in the form of uh, vaginal pessaries or the subcutaneous injections is not enough to stop bleeding. It's there to support your own progesterone. So there can be some bleeding. In terms of the cause of it, it's possible that it can come from the cervix because of all the hormone changes that you've had. If you've had an egg collection, sometimes blood can have collected at the top of the vagina and can then come down in the few days afterwards. It's also possible there can be some bleeding from within the uterine cavity, perhaps at the lower part near the, um, near the cervix. If the bleeding is very, very heavy, that is uncommon, unless it's right up before the pregnancy test. So if the clinic has asked you to do your pregnancy test on a certain day and you start having heavy bleeding within a couple of days beforehand, then unfortunately that could be a sign that, that the cycle hasn't worked and that it's a withdrawal bleed or a period. It's still important though to do your pregnancy test on the day you've been told to by the clinic because I have seen patients who've had surprisingly heavy bleeding but have still been pregnant. Hey mate. Hey. hey. How are you? How are you? How am I? Well, um, got got a couple of updates, I guess. Go on then. Go on then. I had actually planned to do two separate updates, but then we kind of got lazy and now we're just doing it in one. So, um, early pregnancy has been fun. Mm-hmm. Way less anxious and no, like horrible than last time. Nobody told me it's been a non-viable pregnancy. That's exciting. Um, is on the wane. Oh my god! But Thank we'll talk about that in a minute. Good Lord. I, I know. I just want to talk about an experience that I had um, to do with drugs. Okay. Um, so I'm on two drugs um, at the moment to kind of sustain the pregnancy. Most people will probably know what they are, but I'm not going to name them. Um, my pregnant, my clinic originally prescribed one um, drug to me. And then halfway through, when we were topping up my my stash, mm-hmm. um, they got a different one because they said there's there's a shortage. They can't get hold of the original one okay. um, because they use a specific supplier. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, within, I would say, two hours of me starting to use the second one. And I'm very deliberately not using names here because I don't want anybody who's been prescribed that drug to have a massive freak out. Yeah. This is going to happen to them um, because my body's stupid. Um, but yeah, so I, I was within hours of this second new drug. That's just a different form of the old one that I was prescribed. I just started bleeding like absolutely loads. Jesus. Had a massive, obviously had a massive freak out. Mm -hmm. Booked one of those scan places because I was like, there's no point like me trying to go to A&E. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to book one of those scan places. Either I'm losing my pregnancy or I'm not. So, right. and they can yeah. tell me. Uh-huh. Um, so, booked on those scan places, everything was fine. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I was like, right. The, the only cause of this can be my stupid cervix, which we, as we know, throws a tantrum. We do. Often. Friable. Um, that's what they call yeah, it, isn't it? My friable cervix. Yeah. Um, so, I was like, well, the only thing that's changed is this, this drug. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just try and get hold of the other one. Um, and I, I went, but the first thing I did was ring around the pharmacies in my area to find out if they had any. And I found a pharmacy that had enough, mm. um, of this drug, which, of which there is a shortage. So it was quite hard to find it, but yeah. I made maybe four phone calls before I found what I needed. So it wasn't that hard. Um, and then I phoned my GP and I, the reason I did that was because I just needed somebody who could, who would give me a prescription fast because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be taking this drug anymore. And I felt like my GP like is connected into the pharmacies in the area. She could email the prescription straight to the pharmacy. I wouldn't have any kind of shit having to like argue with them. So I phoned her and I just said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry to kind of disturb you, but I'm bleeding a lot and I, I can't get hold of my fertility doctor, which was a lie. Um, would it be possible to just prescribe me this stuff? And, you know, it's it's a it's an HRT drug, so it is prescribed fairly regularly by GPs. Yeah. Um, and she was like, yeah, of course I'll do that. So she literally, like, wrote a prescription, emailed it to the pharmacy, and I was there within 20 minutes with the Amazing. original drug. Amazing. And the whole thing, like, six-week supply cost me £9, oh. as opposed to £200 for the other one. Oh, my God. Right? How bizarre. I know, it's mental. Um, 
so I just wanted to kind of make the point that if there's if you're prescribed something and you're not that comfortable with it or you're used to something else like there is an avenue to just go back to the old one Hmm, like it's not that hard like I know I don't live in central London I'm not in a place with like ample supplies of weird drugs like I did manage to get hold of it so I just it's worth a try yeah I think it is and if you if you can go around different places and I think if you're doing stims it might be slightly different because it's not like an HRT drug so it's not like a commonly available drug Mm -hmm, yeah but um but this one was you know it was easy to get hold of it wasn't hard at all Mm. it's just that my particular clinic's particular supplier that they work with didn't have any available right okay that's good that's really interesting well done Thanks, mate. I just wanted to make that public service announcement. Um, <laughs> what else has been happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went for my seven-week scan. Mm. Um, John didn't come because even though I had put it in the diary, he booked a job. So oh, dear. Cool. Oh, dear. Yeah. Got quite annoyed about that. Yeah. Had a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he didn't come. Um, but, like, everything was fine. Thank God. And it was <laughs> I feel like, like, it's funny because my last seven week scan, I was, by you know, my clinic quite often runs late. And by the time I'd been waiting 15 minutes, I was literally pacing up and down the waiting room. I remember Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And this time I was just, I was, yeah, of course I had a bit of anxiety, like we always do, but I was not pacing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And when I saw the heartbeat, it was, you know, I wasn't that rush of emotion. It was just relief. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was good and I, I guess it's maybe because I'd seen a heartbeat when I went to for the scan for the original scan yeah. because I was bleeding so I kind of you know I knew something was there but a lot can change in a week and one day unfortunately yeah it's so true mm. so but, um, yeah. that's great news mate well done congratulations the craziest thing is that it's 12 millimeters in size this thing this embryo and I you can already hear a heartbeat wow she like listened to heartbeat. I'm. I almost don't believe that it was the baby's heartbeat. That it was my heartbeat. Mm-hmm. She just picked it up by mistake. Mm-hmm. How can that heartbeat be loud enough? Bizarre. It's bizarre. Anyway, yeah. well, this is very good. Yeah, it's all good. We're all good. Um. So I think probably this will be the last time we talk about this, right? Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, I don't think there's a need to ca- carry on. No, unless um, unless something very exciting happens. Yeah, or very horrible. Mm. But I think you know, from now on, it's fairly straightforward, and you've heard it all before if you listen yeah. to the second series. Yeah. Okay. Um, I love the way I just said it straightforward. Ha 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 ha. Oh dear God. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, we all hope not to hear from you again, because that, I suppose, yeah. new, new news from here on is good news. Absolutely. And how are you, mate? I am good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add other than like, just, yeah, my ongoing head fuck about whether or not to try and have another one or not just continues. But um <laughs> Do you think, so what, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking just after we've had that Natalie interview. Mm. One, one thing that um, kind of hit me a little bit was that it's, you know, she does the same as us. She talks to people about this stuff constantly. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it did feel like one thing that was, had put her off trying again was that the fact that A, it had been very straightforward for her, mm. you know, relatively straightforward but b like she was so aware of all the things that could go wrong yeah do you think that that might be part of this i don't think it is part of my and that you know i'm being completely honest i think my decision making is but it's not really based on ivf it's not okay. it's kind of based on having another child or not having another child and yeah. and my kind of experience of being an only child myself, not having any support around me here. I don't have any grandparents around us. Mm-hmm. It's maybe, you know, some of it sometimes touches on financial. I think, I don't know. It's not, it's kind of a hard one to untangle. Um, 
but I, I just have come to the conclusion that perhaps it'd be best for all of us if, if this was our, you know, this was it. And I think that all, I mean, they're all good reasons. Mm, yeah. But then sometimes my heart just goes, well, why are you making this decision based on logical reasons? Why are you not just following your heart? That's kind of like, oh God, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe it is yeah. the wrong decision. I don't know. That's a huge so, Yeah, that's it. That's where I am. <laughs> well, um, we'll keep talking. We will. Of course we will. Well, that's it. Well, guys, that is it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed it. I certainly did. Yeah. Oh, find it a bit, bit emotional in parts, but yes, I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> an interesting topic that we've never really thought about before mm, yeah yeah exactly um next week we've got a surprise guest again another surprise guest <laughs> i don't know if anyone knows that that's code for we don't know yeah quite <laughs> i was gonna say if people twigged onto the uh the secret <laughs> um so yeah there we go it's exciting for everyone isn't it yeah absolutely um so i guess we will see you all then see you then guys have a lovely week catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.